you're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Dan Seabrook, and I'm here today with Joel Passon, Head of Global Sales at Breamery. Joel, hi, how are you? I'm well, how are you? It's great to be here. Yes, very good, thank you. Very good indeed. Thanks for um, taking the time to join us today. My pleasure. So, Joel, the topic for today's episode is selling high-tech solutions to a non-technology audience. But before we go into the conversation, it would be really good if you could give us a, a bit of a background on yourself, your company, and, and I guess the, the space that you're sitting in. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I appreciate, appreciate being here. I, uh, I look after global sales at a company called Beamery, and we provide our customers with uh, talent CRM and marketing solutions. And so for folks that aren't in the HR technology or talent technology landscape, uh, you can think of the product that we offer the market as sort of a, a combination of both Salesforce and Marketo, but for recruiting or talent acquisition. And so just uh, logistically, you know, obviously we're, a, well, perhaps not obviously, we are a SaaS company. We're venture backed and uh, just uh, completed our Series B last year and uh, have strategic investments from uh, Microsoft's venture capital arm and Workday, uh, a large global HCM provider. And um, I, uh, I actually have a global sales force with offices. Uh, we're headquartered in London, actually, but North America is split between San Francisco and Austin. And then I have field sellers throughout North America. And core sales all reports to me. And also uh, we have a business development team or a sales development team that reports to me as well. Okay. Interesting. Thanks for that. So Joel, Beamy obviously is operating, as you said, within the HR and recruitment technology space, which from our perspective and from what we've seen across our client base seems to be going through a, a massive disruption and innovation with the advance of that favorite buzzword at the moment, which is machine learning and AI and, yeah. and you know the analytics that that's providing and the automation it's providing. It seems to be growing massively year on year and, and really disrupting many industries. But of course, recruitment and the HR piece around automation seem to be seeing, seeing that in a particularly big way. Could you give us, a, from your perspective, a bit of a, an overview or a, an opinion of the current state of the HR and recruitment technology world? Um, and how you see that evolving. Um, and when I say when how I see that evolving is whether you see there's a place for the future whereby actually HR and, and recruitment technology can replace people altogether. It'd just be good to get your, your thoughts because obviously that's a much debated topic at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack with what you just asked, but you're right in what you're, you're seeing, obviously, and, and you folks are a good barometer of the market. There's been about $5 billion of investment that's been made in the HR tech and, and talent acquisition sector. And so it's it's actually quite noisy. And I think there's a reason for that. And, and frankly, if we kind of use a, a bit of an anecdote, you think about the next time you talk to a CEO, ask her to name the most important business assets, and you're going to get people you know, talking about their people first or second every time. So managing an enterprise's number one or number two asset, their people, is not a, a bad space to be in. And obviously, there's been money flowing into this space. In terms of, and I think, again, sort of unpacking your question, in terms of trend spotting in the HR tech space, the first thing that we see, and I think the reason for a lot of this investment, is that innovative employers are, are really moving away from a reactive approach to recruiting. So if you think about days of yore, you had a job opening, you walked it down to your recruiting department or HR, they, they published or posted or advertised a job, 
and you wait to see what comes in and maybe the recruiter goes through their network and, you know, gets you some people that perhaps they've had some relationships with. And that's really a reactive maturity model. And what we're seeing today is that companies are realizing that to transform their labor forces over the next several years, and we know that the service economy, and we'll talk about AI in a second, everything's evolving. So companies really have to be more proactive when they think about talent and go out and really kind of use, and I think this is really relevant for your audience, they really have to use sales and marketing techniques. So talent acquisition is really sort of a sales and marketing game. And that means building awareness with the right people at the right time. So that's one big trend that we see. And obviously, Beamery is sort of pointed at that direction. In terms of, again, at large, and you talk about machine learning and artificial intelligence, I believe that this is my personal belief. And and I think Beamery, again, at large, shares some of these philosophies or, or, or concepts. But artificial intelligence is really noisy right now in that I think that the trend is not necessarily just to use artificial intelligence, but I think it actually pivots from this concept of automating a job role to understanding how we augment jobs and upskill those roles. So in short or in layman's speak, how do we make people more efficient and better at their jobs rather than replacing their jobs? And then um, I think that we're going to see a new generation of analytics out of this too. So some folks are already calling this telemetry. Other folks are calling this augmented analytics. And really, regardless of the name, you're going to see on-demand actionable explanations of what's going on with your workforce. So it's the old, instead of just giving me a report, okay, insights are nice, but now really give me actionable insights on-demand about how we can make a pivot in real time. That's a trend. And then the final thing that I think you'll see is that HR, if they have upskilled workers and they have augmented analytics, then I think we're going to see the HR function and recruiting functions move from essentially a less judgment-driven environment to a more data-driven environment, much like we'd see with finance, sales and marketing, procurement, other business functions within an organization. So I think these things sort of all meld together. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Thanks for that. And I think it's kind of, I guess, taking a bit of getting used to for a lot of people out there as well. And to your point, in, in functions like finance and sales and marketing, you know, we're used to now going on a website and talking to a chatbot. People may, some people may dispute whether they like it or not, but I think that's becoming more and more of a reality. Actually, um, almost giving HR professionals the ability to step away a little bit from the day-to-day mundane tasks of sifting through CVs, for example, and actually having more data at their fingertips is probably something that is a concept so they'll have to get their head around. But in the future, to your point, it should allow them to, to, to do more with less in some respects with, with the automation that brings. One of the points that you you made that was quite interesting for me is giving the giving organizations with your solution in particular, if we talk about that for now, giving organizations the ability to rather than reactively recruit individuals based on when a, a job may come up to actually proactively always identifying maybe the, the passive market that isn't quite ready, isn't necessarily looking for work, but they're out there. And if I look at the market that we're, that we're all in here with um, and let's focus for a second specifically on the Bay Area. From from what we see, there's a massive skill shortage in the Bay Area specific to technology, both from a sales and marketing perspective and, and from a technical perspective. With something like your offering, how, how would you help a business with that? Yeah, let me give you an example, a real world example. We have a, a client that replaced essentially Blockbuster. I'm not, I won't name the client's name, mm-hmm. but uh, they have very hard to find creatives, production studio folks, they produce 
television shows for the most part on demand. And uh, the folks in that industry are in very, very high demand. And so you can post jobs for them in the reactive model. And quite frankly, you're not going to get much. You can send recruiters after them like we do in BDR to send them after prospects. If you think about recruiting being the analog being that recruiting is very much like sales. Think about it in that lens for the for our, our listeners. So we can send recruiters and sourcers after people. And we know that that's going to be moderately effective. And we've been doing that for years in recruiting. But what if I told you that we could, just like in professional B2B marketing, we could go out and understand prospects' behaviors and market to them and build a community, a long tail community of people that when they are ready to search for a job or they are, they've, you know, they are thinking about new opportunities outside of wherever they're at, that I could make you the employer of choice for when they wake up in the morning and decide that maybe they'll look around. We've been in their ear, in their inbox, in their text messages, in, in whatever channel that they're getting information, building that awareness along the way and making it easy for them to join a community that adds value, just like we do with content marketing that adds value that brings them into the organization over time. Same thing with campus and getting people when they're graduating from school. So starting those relationships early with, think about it kind of like consumers, but with candidates and prospects, that's really what our company is focused on doing. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, and and that kind of segues nicely into the next point, which is you're a technology company. I guess you could get really in the, in the weeds of, of, what your solution is and how it works and the technical bells and whistles of it. But but ultimately, uh, as we've spoken about a lot, you are selling to HR functions for the most part, if, if, if I'm not mistaken. And for the, for the most part, HR professionals aren't necessarily coming to, coming to the workforce with computer science degrees. So they're not really that technical audience. So how do you as a technology company go about selling to a less technical audience? If, what's your process for doing so? In our space specifically, and I think this would go in line with this question if we were selling into a non-technical audience in another line of business. And there are still a couple of lines of business left that, as you put it, don't necessarily have an extensive technology background. And what I tend to do is look for former practitioners. So my best, most accomplished sellers and the ones that climb the enablement curve, you know, the, the ramp curve faster than anyone else in our organization are people that have number one, been in some sort of recruiting capacity in their life. And so I think you could extrapolate this back to any industry, you know, hire out of that industry of people that perhaps have done that job in some way, shape or form or been around it. And they're going to obviously understand the challenges of those end users and and ultimately buyers better than anyone else. So I look for people that have been practitioners in the past, maybe early in their career, and then have become accomplished sellers in the space over time. So I want my sellers to empathize with the buyers firsthand. I want them to feel their pain. And this also, again, serves to reduce our ramp times. So that's that's sort of number one strategy. Number two is we tend to shape our sales process less of this sort of prescribed, you know, here is a demo, here's what you have to do next, Mr. or Mrs. Customer. We actually say, hey, this is an education process. So we don't run a traditional sales process. Our focus is really on helping our champions and influencers develop a strong internal business case for how we can benefit their organization. And then taking that and helping them package it to go and sell higher up the power line, if you will. So we support the process with content and collateral that's really designed from, you know, for a variety of different stakeholders, including the IT teams 
and the procurement and finance teams. So that's the second strategy that we use. And then the third one is we really let our product tell the narrative and we bring our salespeople oftentimes on site with our customers and walk them through these various use cases, setting up our product along the way to show them how we can take them from being a reactive talent organization and mature them into being a proactive talent organization. Along the way, we create their own narrative within our product. And that's been really powerful. That, that makes sense. And just on that sort of line of questioning, I guess, um, you mentioned earlier on in the conversation that there seems to have been around you know, a $5 billion investment or they've seen the, the market, the HR tech market is worth around $5 billion. I think the approach you, you've just described with regards to your sales process in particular, where it's very much an education uh, process where you're, t- you're, you're, you're engaging with multiple different personas and you have a value to each of those different personas you touch. How would you, in a, in a noisy market, what could be seen as a complicated market where HR professionals must be absolutely inundated with uh, solutions that I guess could be seen to be offering a similar message to a similar value to your solution? How do you, how do you differentiate in such a noisy, crowded market like that? I think there's three things, and, and let me let me focus on two of them. But the differentiation process is, I think, especially in a SaaS company, is product driven. So for us, and I have to speak to this specifically in, in our industry, which is talent CRM and, and talent marketing. You know, it's a it's a a product that sits on top of essentially, if you think about a sales funnel, we are the very top of the funnel, getting our customers more prospects to market to, to ultimately convert them into candidates. So that's the the framework that we use. We have to have a meaningful, unique, and differentiated solution to cut through the noise. And that needs to meet the market's needs and really be prescriptive to this proactive process that we create for people. So instead of using big words, we we have to have an innovative product. And that's, that's part of winning the SaaS game is, I think, twofold. Number one, you have to have an innovative product that does cut through the noise, as you just suggest. And number two, you have to operationalize how you distribute that product and out-operationalize your competitors. And that's something that we continue to build at Beamery as a go-to-market strategy. So have a better product and be more operationally sound than, than your peers. And that's a winning solution in any market, specifically in a noisy one like TA technology. That makes sense. And I, and I think as well, that's... Um... Is it what you just described around having a, yes, a great product, but the second piece around being more operationally effective is even more relevant to you as a business because it's, it's a bit of an interesting background in that you're not a US software company coming out of Silicon Valley. You're actually a, a British company that has gone the other way and actually entered North America. So and on a slightly different tact, really, as a, as a UK founded mm-hmm. business, what were the, the challenges that you faced when expanding to, to North America and, and have you seen any differences between the sales process and how you go about selling in North America versus what you really started as a, as a business in EMEA? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and frankly, breaking into the U.S. market in our business wasn't the biggest challenge. We found that large U.S.-based employers in our target market, North American employers for that matter, are generally more progressive from a recruiting standpoint. And as you point out, from your own experiences in the in the Bay Area, there's a big supply and demand problem. So essentially, we're selling a product that people need in a variety of theaters because we're addressing, and this, this was at the top of the podcast, one of the things that's really exciting about our space is there, there literally is a supply and demand problem. We're not creating more STEM 
graduates necessarily at the rate that the market needs them. So breaking into a market and having people be interested in the things that we're saying wasn't necessarily our issue. I think that the founders of Beamery, prior to my joining about six months ago, what they learned was that the procurement process and sort of the the ways of doing businesses, the nuances might be a bit different than perhaps starting in the UK and, and, and continental Europe for, the, for that matter. So our, I'll give you an example of, I'll give you actually two examples of this, or maybe the differences to the second part of your question. Our EMEA prospects and customers tend to have a more, I'd say, formal evaluation process. They're more organized. There's more of a consensus building, a formality around the consensus building. So for example, in, in that, we see more steering committees, more formal RFPs, more requests for tenders, things that are more of this sort of formalized step-based process to get through procurement. The communications are more formal. The meetings are more formal. Finance, IT, and procurement are more out in front earlier in our, our perspective evaluation processes outside of North America. And I attribute that to there's a cultural difference. On the flip side, in North America, we see more ad hoc processes. We see less executive buy-in earlier in the early stages of a project until we get maybe through the middle of the project where we have to, as I mentioned before, take our folks that are lower on the power line, our champions and influencers, and build them into people that are ultimately developing our value proposition to get experienced or more senior DMs, decision makers, involved. So our observation in in short is that U.S. companies are more comfortable with buying technology in general, but the processes are looser. They're more informal. We have to actually put more inertia into the meetings to get into the decision maker's lexicon of decision making. And that's been the biggest sort of eye-opening thing for us. And then there are some little differences in how we communicate uh, sort of tactical things that you'll see. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think to your point around the, the tactical differences, that, that just comes down to a, a cultural thing. I mean, you know, we see UK, US, slightly more cynical markets, if you like, whereas if you go into to Spain or France or Italy, you, you almost need to start whining and dining prospects. So it's a com- completely different yeah. um, sales processes. Our entertainment budget you know, when we look at just line item budgets for travel and entertainment, and you look at the region in the world that accumulates proportionally anyway, the most spend, it's the Nordics. I don't know why. Maybe it's cultural, but I've, I've seen it trend for four quarters now. That is interesting. I've not, I was expecting you to say Italy or Spain or something. So that, that's very <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so, Joe, the, the insights have been really useful and intriguing. So I really appreciate that you've taken the time to share your thoughts with the audience today. I guess the last point is, if anyone wants to connect with you to learn more about Beamery or continue this conversation offline, what would be the best way to get in touch with you and the, and the business? Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm easy to find. So I'm on LinkedIn. It's Joel Passan. And then my email address is very simple. It's joel at beamery.com. And I have to put a plug in and, and, and tell you that we're always looking for uh, talented sales folks and, and talented marketing people, both in the United States and, and in London. So uh, I appreciate your time and, and, and I appreciate you having me. Thanks a lot. Once again, Joel, it was great having you on the show and um, we appreciate your time. Very good. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale 
required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.